Barbecue has never been easier with the Barbecue Guru. The Barbecue Guru is a temperature control and monitor for all pits, charcoal, wood, electric, your pit. It easily attaches to any smoker or pit and gives you simple, trouble-free control of your temperatures so you can make championship-quality barbecue every time and all the time. And it's location-free. Take it anywhere. This amazing breakthrough in barbecue technology is a microprocessor-controlled draft system that uses temperature monitors and a small fan to keep your temperatures constant. The stainless steel Guru Pit Miner gives you a choice of controls from 90 to 370 degrees. So cold smoking, pepper drying, making cheese or jerky or fabulous briskets and ribs is nothing short of effortless. The Procom 4 lets you monitor your pit from up to 600 feet away. And there's more. Check out the full line of products and accessories for the future of barbecue with new items on the way. Visit thebarbecueguru.com. That's www.thebbqguru.com. Or call 1-800-288-GURU. Welcome to the Barbecue Roundtable, a monthly show where a select panel of guests discuss a specific topic in the world of barbecue. From backyard chefs to professionals on the circuit, there's sure to be a wide variety of opinions and views on how to prepare the best barbecue. If you're interested in participating in an upcoming show, visit our website at www.bbq-the-numeral-4-the-letter-u.com and click on the email button. And now, here's the moderator of the Barbecue Roundtable, Greg Rimpey. Thank you, Jim Morgan, and welcome, everybody, to the maiden voyage of the Barbecue Roundtable, a monthly show where a select panel of guests will talk about a specific barbecue topic. It's also my secondary hope that these shows will serve as a kind of FAQ reference. Instead of reading through six or eight pages of posts that you would find on the forum, you can punch up a topic and get opinions from a good cross-section of experience levels. Tonight's topic is pork butts. The panel is ready, so let's take a minute to learn more about them. So, here they are. Our first panel member has been credited with developing the way most of us use to fire up our charcoal cookers. A method he so blatantly stole from the inventor of everything important to barbecue, Captain Morgan. And our guest continues to deny it to this day. One of two members to receive Hall of Fame status as a rank on the board. Joining us from the great state of Washington, Mr. KCBS himself, Jim Minion. Also on our panel tonight is a force to be reckoned with on the KCBS circuit with calls to the stage too numerous to mention. But his main goal in life is finally being realized tonight as he's getting to be a part of the Barbecue for You show podcast. Now the whining can finally stop. The president of the I Hate Big Will fan club from Gordonsville, Virginia, Bill Small. The next member has an affection for handicapped barbecue cooking teammates. But after seeing the huge earnings potential that the rub business can bring, he stabbed his teammate in the back and started giving away his rub for free, essentially sinking his partner's business. When you need to impress somebody with a great recipe, call him. But don't look for any pictures. This guy has over 7,000 posts and no evidence that he's ever cooked anything. Here's Mr. Fiery Cheese Gazpacho himself, Finny. And finally, the winner of the prestigious Smoke on the Beach Barbecue Cook-Off, a moderator on the Barbecue for You Forum, and without any argument, the true darling of the barbecue community, Mr. Golden Tones himself, uh, that would be me, Captain Morgan. So now we've learned a little bit more about everybody on the panel tonight. 
Uh, before we get into the thick of the pork butt cooking, why don't we go around the panel and find out what everybody's cooking on. Uh, Finney, why don't you go ahead and lean off? I've got uh, two complete WSMs and one that's like three-fourths complete. Uh, and also I've got a one-touch gold and a uh, Smoky Joe, unless I'm smoking uh, with uh, Jack Weibor on his team, and then we have an arsenal of smokers. So, Captain Morgan? Uh, just a, a WSM. I have a big gasser, but I don't smoke on that, obviously, and uh, I will not drop any names like Finney. Jim Minion. I have a close uh, mobile. Um, it's a 36 by 8 foot with the upright. Uh, I've got a Traeger mobile unit. I've got four ceramic cookers, three WSMs, a fajita oh. grill, uh, and I believe that's about it. No, show two off. ranchers, two, <laughs> two ranch kettles. What a show off. Right. Bill the grill guy. Um, I have a homemade smoker. It's an offset smoker. We call it Petunia. Uh, it's about five and a half feet long, two feet deep uh, with an offset uh, firebox. And then I just got a WSM, just starting to use that. All right, so there's a good idea of what everybody's cooking on. Today's topic, of course, is pork butts. So let's go with the, uh, the pre-cook events, uh, starting with Captain Morgan. Jim, do you buy bone-in or bone-less, and do you trim your butts? Now, first of all, great question, because I do have the option of buying both. I belong to Sam's Club and to Costco. Costco, and, and, and as far as everybody I know that I've talked to on the Internet across the country, Costco only sells boneless butts. And uh, Sam's Club, as far as I can tell, only sells uh, bone-in. I only buy bone-in. A uh, couple of reasons, uh, you know, just because of what I heard when I was growing up, the, uh, the meat to the bone is the sweetest also i think you know and this is uh you know uh, maybe a little bit embarrassing but it, it to me it's a little bit easier to tell when the butt is done when you can twist that bone a little bit and uh, you know i've got thermometers and i test it all like that too but i love the field test and uh, and i like bone in bill the grill guy uh, i go bone in I've, I've never cooked with boneless uh I've, although my partner gary has cooked boneless uh he gets his at costco i get mine at sam's and uh, I, I agree with uh, Jim with the, the way it cooks. I also feel that the bone pulls the heat into the meat as well. Chris Finney? Uh, I cook with whatever, whichever one I can, I can get a good deal on at the time. I, I do prefer the bone-in, though. I, I, as Jim said, I like to be able to, to tell if the meat's done by, by giving the bone a little twist or pulling on it a little bit, and if it releases pretty easy i know my butts uh, i know it's done every once in a while i I do buy the the boneless and cook those and and while there is a slight difference in the finished product i I don't feel it's great enough that i won't ever say i don't buy boneless butts jim minion uh it depends on what i'm doing i've got wholesale companies that i actually buy all my my meat from um, so I buy by the case if it's a charity event let's say we're going to do a thousand pounds of meat chances are it's going to be boneless only because somebody else is going to have to do all the pulling and all that so I'll go that way for competition and for myself I'd rather have bone in and then the other side of it is is I do quite a bit of caribou to pork Um, Berkshire 
basically lineage is what it is. Um, so I do host shoulders. I also do a lot of sausage, so I, I use a lot of boneless when doing that. I, I don't have a problem with bone out, but it's it's okay. I like I like the product I get for competition with bone in. I don't use the bone as a test. I always use temperature, but then I have a holded method, a hold uh, that I do at the end where it finishes tenderizing. So it's just part of my technique. Uh, yeah, so. I think we need to jump in there and have a little caveat <laughs> there with Minion because Minion gets uh, some meat that not everybody else is uh, privy to. And, uh, Jim, I think you need to clarify, when you're talking about bone-in or, or boneless, uh, are you talking about your little private Kobe Japanese uh, suppliers? <laughs> Well, they, they they are suppliers of, of caribou to pork. Um, they have some really outstanding product. I, I won't use it in competition outside of maybe Seattle, Portland, the West Coast. It's got a flavor to it that will not work in a competition in the Midwest, as an example. Really? It's it's uh, it's definitely a stronger flavor. Uh, more, it's got a more of a pork flavor to it than you find in a lot of the average what you find normally produced and shipped across the United States. But that said, I use Beeler's, Seaborn. There's quite a few, you know, it, again, it just depends on what I'm doing. With the catering company, we are a high-end catering company. So we use Kobe beef, caribou to pork, Alaskan wild salmon. We use the, the stuff we're getting out of Alaska as far as seafood go is just top-notch. Uh, I've got a chicken supplier on top of that that's above and beyond what most people are able to get. Um, that they, it's a chicken that's mainly sold to the Japanese markets. I do have privy to, to, to product that a lot of America doesn't get to see. Well, Jim, I have a question for you. you. You mentioned also that you do shoulders. Do you notice a big difference between shoulders and butts? Cooking time, yes. I, I like cooking whole shoulders for a contest in some cases, and it depends on where I'm at. If you go into the Mid-South, for example, it's a good way to go. There's, there's meat that I can use to turn in there that they're used to seeing, and it will score well. And the cook time really isn't all that much different. It's just that the amount of moisture, you get to pull moisture out of the picnic into the butt and all that type of thing using the correct techniques. Well, I've cooked both butts and shoulders, and I find that there's a whole lot of uh, uh, texture difference between the butts and the shoulders. Uh, for example, I have a harder time pulling the shoulders. I have to actually chop the shoulders rather than being able to pull them. Do you find the same? No, I'm probably taking them farther than you are, and I don't have that as a problem. No, I can. It, it'll pull. I don't pull into. A lot of people are taking their their meat to internals of 200, 205. When you wow. figure the rest, you're going to go up another five, ten degrees. To me, that's way overdone. Uh, it comes out shredded. Uh, mushy. Mushy. Exactly. I cook mine to 185, 190 degrees. I pull chunks probably about the size of your finger. And and that's shoulder as well as butt. Yeah, the the picnic's not going to pull that way. But I'm actually not turn. If it's a competition style, I'm not turning that in. Um, if it's for a, a catering or something, then you most of that I'm going to end up pretty much slicing. Interesting. Uh, just for uh, future information, I'll be the one asking the questions. <laughs> the uh, the third and final question on pre-cook was uh, is there anything in particular when you're looking at your butts uh, that you're looking for chris finney uh yeah there actually is i look for a good amount of of fat running through the through the pork butt but not like in huge quantities in minute areas i want it 
you know, all over the place. And, and I look for the color of the, the meat when I'm looking through, through a case of meat to make sure of, you know, I want to pick the best ones that I can see. I like to look for good color and, and a good distribution of fat. And I, I like to look for muscle tissue that, that actually looks, looks tight and looks, looks sort of fit. I, I don't know how to describe it really, but those are the things I'm looking for when I when I'm looking through a case of pork butts or looking in the in the counter at the the meat counter. Jim Minion, I actually look at who the producer is. Um, they have a tendency to um, have suppliers that supply pork that I can count on being pretty consistent over and over and over again. Um, I like square cut uh, pork butts, bone in. Um, they they maintain their shape. They, they cook uniformly. I don't normally worry about fat because there's always enough fat in them that it's just not a problem. Um, I normally will take the fat cap off during the prep. Um, I'm looking for bark anyway, so that fat cap's not helping, and it doesn't have anything to do with the end, whether the end product is moist or not. So you take the fat cap all the way off? Yes, I do. Bill the Grill Guy. Uh, I kind of agree with Jim. I, I'm not looking for uh, fat throughout the whole thing. I'm looking for the fat cap. Uh, I, however, I do not trim the fat cap off. Um, I kind of score the top of the fat. Uh, I think that what that does is it renders out through, and it, it, it seems to separate the fat a whole lot better when I score it. Uh, this is something I've just started doing, and I also, when I rub the my rub into that fat area seems to sink down into the meat a whole lot better when I score it. Captain Morgan. Well, um, a couple of things there. And I agree with a, a lot of what is said. Um, you know, obviously the butt is uh, the most forgiving piece of meat, and it, it also has a, a large fat cap in most cases, especially if you buy case butts from a, a place like Sam's Club. Um, I do trim uh, a good bit of it off. Uh, like Minion said, the bark is so essential when you're going into a judging situation. To me, uh, you can you can cook them just as they are. The fat's going to render out. Uh, you won't have as much bark if you don't trim the fat off and, and, and leave that much in there. If you're cooking a case of butts, you should have enough bark to, uh, to leave in and uh, give yourself uh, enough chopped meat if you're going to mix the, uh, the meat in together. If you're only cooking one, uh, you know, I trim most of it. Uh, everybody seemed to have weighed in on the trimming or not. Uh, Finney, you didn't. Do you trim your butt? Well, the, I didn't because that wasn't part of the question. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for noticing, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I do usually trim. I I leave enough on on the butt just to have have some there. And actually, usually I cook with the uh, fat on the bottom side. It's I guess it's partially because I'm on the WSM where the heat is below it. But also, it's I've started doing it over the years because uh, I would rather have a chunk of fat stick to the grate when I take the meat, the hunk of meat off of the, the cooker than have a chunk of meat stuck to the grate. Of course, that always turns into what the cook gets to eat but i would rather leave a a wad of fat on the on the cooking grate than than meat so yes i normally do trim pretty close to the butt one before i cook Uh, next question in the pre-cook jim minion do you inject or brine why or why not um i inject 
and again, it depends on the product, but most of the product that you have out there, I think it, it helps. I don't go too crazy with it. I'm not using grape juice. I'm not. I don't want. I don't want it fruity tasting. It's more of a vinegar rub, salt. Actually, probably more salt than what most people would think. Garlic, onion, Worcester products like that. I do it because it does put flavor into the into the meat, and it does help with moisture content. Certainly doesn't hurt. If I'm doing carabuda, I won't necessarily go there only because it's just the flavor stronger to begin with. So it, it again, it just depends on what you're doing. And then I use different recipes. So if I'm, it, it depends on the rub I'm using and the sauce that I've, I'm going to glaze with or I'm going to I'm going to serve with with the pork too. Um, whether I've got a, an injection that will balance with those two items. Captain Morgan. You know, uh, this is a great question, Greg. Uh, Thank you. Because uh, this is uh, one of those deals where uh, it pops up frequently on the uh, Internet message boards, uh, the, and there's so many of them across the barbecue world that people go to and ask this on. Yes, and competition, yes, I do uh, inject. I think you find that most of the folks who who are winning in competitions are injecting, and, uh, and a lot of them use uh, pretty much the same style of, of, of injections. Uh, for home, no, I don't. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm trying to slight the people that I'm serving my home barbecue to, but uh, you know, for most most folks, when you're serving it to them in a non-competition situation, they have no idea what the difference is. Chris Finney, just as Jim said, in competition, I I definitely always inject. It's not even a question. It's you just do it. When I'm at home, I'm probably fifty-fifty of whether I do or not. It depends on on what I'm looking for as a finished product, and and as uh, Jim Minion said, it depends on the rubs I'm using, and if I've got an injection that's gonna gonna blend well with that. If if I don't, then I certainly won't use an injection. Uh, but working up to comps and practicing and preparing, I, I I inject every cook I do then because I'm trying to get that that recipe tweaked a little bit to to when i get to the comp it's all worked out there's no no thinking about you know whether this this injection is going to work with the rub whether it's going to work with the finishing sauce whether it's going to hold up before it gets to the judges or anything so so it's definitely done then but as i said at home just for me and and the family or whatever it's uh it's about 50 50 bill the grill guy weighs in yeah, uh, I've just started injecting the butts uh, probably in the past year in competition. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of the, the injection when it comes to catering. However, uh, you also mentioned brining. I don't feel that as competing you have enough time uh, to brine, properly brine, a uh, long enough period of time to do that. So I think the injection is probably the only way to go with that. Um, now, hold on, Greg. I, I think yeah. Bill Mick brings a, a very good point up. Uh, a, for catering, for restaurants, and for competitions, three different things. Yeah, you know, right. You get, in, you get into a, a profit-making mode, uh, and you get into a competition mode. I think Bill's absolutely right. You don't really have time to brine it. But you, know, you get into a restaurant mode, and, and most folks, the general public, wouldn't be able to tell. The same thing in a, uh, in a blind judging contest with non-qualified or non-trained judges. But if you get into a position where people have been trained, they're looking for uh, specific uh, aspects of each uh, particular uh, piece of barbecue, then uh, injecting could make a difference. Well, I also think that if you 
uh, go back to KCBS rules and regulations where they do the meet inspection prior to the event, they're looking for somebody who may be brining or may have already injected those butts. Yep. It, getting the upper hand, if you will. And I'm not saying I've seen it, but I am sure it has happened at some of the competitions I've competed in where people have already either brined ahead of time or injected ahead of time. And, you know, does it make it fair? You know, I don't think so. I think we should all start in the same playing field. Uh, I don't feel that I have enough time from uh, meat inspection to the time of turn-in or to the time I put it on to get a proper brine. So, therefore, I fall back to the injection. So, yeah, when it comes to uh, competitions, I'm going to be injecting. When it comes uh, to... No way that just happened. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Whoever did that, you just better not even say anything because I'll kill you. Continue. When it comes like to when it comes to working with customers or whatever, I don't brine. Anybody else want to add anything? I, yeah, Sarah's I, on the phone. She says Barney's down at the damn crosswalk. She can't get somebody. To come. I figured it was Jim. What a phone was that? It, it was a damn Griffin phone. Unbelievable. I, I, I will say one thing about judging. I don't think it makes any difference whether they're trained, they're new, they're old, they've been around forever. What you're really trying to do in a competition is you're trying to you're trying to get a, the best score you can get on one or two bites. And if you're not going over the top a little bit, you're probably not going to wow a judge. And you are looking to wow them. And you got no time and only two bites at max to get it done. So I think by not injecting, I can say that I've done well not injecting. I actually took a second-place pork in a competition that I won in Seattle by turning in a sliced pork that was never injected, only rubbed, didn't even put sauce on it. But it ate like candy. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, of course, but I, I think if you're not injecting, you're not giving yourself a fair chance unless you just have some pork that is just outstanding. I agree. The next question is, how long before you put your uh, butt on the smoker do you rub it? And ah. we'll go to Bill the Grill Guy answering first. I'm a firm believer in the longest you have the rub on, the more flavor you're going to actually get down into the meat. I've heard a lot of arguments all the way through that, you can put it on an hour before or right before you put it on the smoker. But I think that if you put the meat or put the rub on there and let the meat macerate, the, the flavor has a tendency to deeply penetrate in there, and you're going to get a better flavor in the meat. Jim um, Minion. <laughs> if, um, if, I'm well, if I'm at home, I usually I'll put the rub on. It goes on the cooker. If I'm competing, I, once the meat inspection done, rub goes on it. Um, I, you, you don't waste any time. Let the salt do its thing and move on. Chris Finney? If I'm at home, Greg, I, I always try to do it the night before just to give it, give it plenty of time to, to work its magic, draw out as much uh, moisture as it can. And, and actually, uh, it, if you can have it on there long enough, you're actually doing a dry marinade because it'll – pull the, the moisture out of the meat to start with, and then it'll equalize and, and pull back in and pull the, the flavor back in with it. So I like to do that if I can. Uh, if, you know, if it's a spur-of-the-moment thing where where somebody says, hey, let's let's have some, some pork tonight, and I'll run out and grab a butt and throw, you know, throw some rub on it, 
throw it on the cooker and start going. But if I have time, I do it the night before. Jim Morgan gets the final word. Yeah, this is uh, one of those situations where I have to you know, admit that there's a lot of controversy about this. A lot of people who are talking about uh, you know, rubbing it as much in advance as possible. If we're talking about backyard cooks and on, on a butt, I don't think you can hurt it. Next question. Do you let your butts get to room temperature before you put them on the smoker? And this one goes to build a grill guy. Uh, in competition, I haven't. Uh, I've taken them right out of the cooler and put them right on the smoker. Not sure if there's a benefit one way or the other, but that's the way I've always done it. Captain Morgan. Yeah, um, I, I believe in, in, a, in a competition scenario, as Bill said, uh, you want to go ahead and put them on the cold uh, just to develop more smoke ring. Uh, you know, one of the uh, most interesting things about uh, barbecue is that you, know, you, you don't need smoke to create a smoke ring. And that's one of the things that a lot of trained judges will look for. Colder meat going on the smoker earlier will give you a better smoke ring. But I try to put it on as cold as possible if it's a butt. Different meats, different situation. Chris Finney. Well, since everybody's bringing up competition, I'll go that route first. Yeah, it's as soon as we can get them processed you know trimmed up uh to make them look pretty get get the fat off as much as possible get the rub on uh they go on the they go on the smoker as soon as soon as we can do that unless uh you know it depends on actually in a kcbs event uh depending on the timing they they may get rubbed and and sit you know in a cooler waiting not on ice, but just all sitting together uh, before they get on the cooker. But in other events, uh, yeah, we'll stick them on as soon as we can get them processed to be on there. At home, I normally will let it sit out a little bit, but for the size of meat, it's never going to get to room temperature before it gets gets on the grill. It's just not going to be out that long. Jim Minion? I can't think of any good reason to let them get up to room temperature if i'm cooking at home they come right out of the refrigerator um if i'm cooking for competition i'm looking for the smoke ring and if i'm cooking for the public i'm trying to keep stuff below 40 or over 140 as much as possible so now we're going to get into the cooking part of the segment what kind of wood do you use for smoke flavor and this one goes to captain morgan well starting right off the bat being from uh, the carolinas hickory 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 that's what everything in the restaurants is down here. That is our uh, traditional cooking wood in the Carolinas, and that's what most folks are uh, accustomed to tasting when they uh, when they eat in the barbecue. Now, when I go into competitions, I use a combination of hickory and cherry wood, but uh, there is definitely a, a sweeter, smokier, well, I won't say smokier. It's less pronounced. It's definitely a lighter flavor than the hickory, and that's why I use the combination of the uh, cherry and the hickory. But, you know, in, in my opinion, everything has to match in what you're doing. You know, your rub, your sauce, and your and your woods. And I use cherry wood, and there's cherry flavoring in both my rub and my sauce, too. And I think that all comes together to create a good product. Bill the Grill Guy? When it comes to cooking pork butts uh, with the offset, I'm going to be using the uh, either white or red oak for heat. Um, I like to use the hickory for the smoke flavor. However, towards the end of the cook, because when I cook in competition, I've already got my brisket on there, and I'm starting to put my ribs on, 
I'm going to change over to cooking with cherry or peach. Uh, luckily, in this area, we get a whole lot of peach uh, wood in this area, so I like to cook with that as well. Uh, kind of gives it a little sweeter uh, flavor to the meat, and um, it, it takes away from, and I'm not saying that hickory is a pungent flavor, but if you use too much, it can actually be a pungent flavor to the meat. Jiminian? Being out here in the West, um, we're talking cherry, apple. Um, costs too much to have <clears throat> pecan and, and hickory shipped in. Um, I get it once in a while, but it's it's cherry and apple. Cherry will leave a reddish color if you <clears throat> don't let the fires st- uh, spike as far as temps go. Out here, it's we don't have a we don't have the choices of, of the hickory and pecan as an example. Chris Finney. Uh, as Jim said, uh, the primary wood around here and what I grew up with and what I started cooking with was uh, hickory because that, that is what all the, the barbecue restaurants around my area use. Is everybody okay? Somebody I'm fall down? Fine. I don't know who that was. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, hickory is definitely in the blend. Uh, I also like to put in uh, some some white oak and some some cherry wood as well and when i can come or come to find some i do put in the peach also with the peach orchards around here then it's i i can get it every so often so i like that when i can get it what temperature are you cooking your butts at jim minion i'll start out low uh only because i've got briskets on also and i'm looking to put smoke ring on things so we're talking 200 210 maybe 225 and as the cook goes on if it gets up the 250 range that's that's fine with me bill the grill guy uh i try to stick in the 225 230 range Uh, i agree with jim that the the lower temperatures you can get the better smoke ring you're going to get so i try to keep you know 220 225 is is ideal temperature captain morgan i'm not going to pretend like i'm uh completely set in my ways as far as any kind of barbecue uh technology goes uh, constantly experimenting. Uh, I will say this: if I'm cooking in a competition, I like to uh, cook a little bit higher, uh, maybe around 240 or 250, just so maybe I can pull them off a little bit earlier, give them a chance to rest. That's a whole other story. And I hope, hopefully, we're going to get into uh, a topic about foiling our butts because I know that Bill does. And uh, but well, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going there now. We'll, we'll but, be there. Don't uh, worry hold about on, hold on, hold we'll on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm just saying that uh, you know maybe uh, for foiling later. But uh, after you pull them off, but uh, if I'm cooking at home, I do like the lower temperatures. Uh, 220 is is fine with me. Uh, if I'm cooking at home, I got plenty of time. There's no rush. I don't. I don't know. I just I like a slower temperature when it gets through the uh, the rendering phase. When it gets up through the uh, the 160 through the 180. Uh, I have played around a lot, and there's not a lot said about this, but I have played around a lot with adjusting temperatures, cooking it hotter to get it up to the rendering phase, then cooling it down, and uh, cooking it lower, and then trying to get it hotter through the rendering phase to, to speed that up. And I don't have any conclusive results to say about that, but I'm messing around with it. And maybe one day we'll do a podcast just on that. Chris Finney. What the hell are you laughing at? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, at competitions, I, I like to cook around 250 because uh, you're under a time constraint. Uh, you want I'm always shooting for a 12-hour butt, butt cook at a competition. Uh, at home, if I'm cooking normal with the, 
with the water pan, whether it's sand water or whatever in it, in the WSM, I'm cooking around 235, 230, somewhere in that range. If I'm trying to replicate North Carolina barbecue, I take the water pan out of the WSM. I'll start the cooker at about 230, and when the fat starts rendering, it'll the temp will get up to about 275, which is actually around the uh, temperature that most uh, pork is cooked in the uh, Lexington-style uh, barbecue restaurants. So that's what I'm I'm replicating then with the with the fat dripping down in the coals and and all that process. So I, I'm running the temperature that approximates what they run. That's going to do it for part one of the Barbecue Roundtable Pork Butt Discussion. Be sure to click on part two so you can get the rest of the interview, and we'll see you on the backside.